0: Now, The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, certified sommelier, corporate entertainer, and wife to a world-class
1: chef, Lori is literally pouring the fun back into wine. Meet some of the most interesting people in the world of food, wine, and
0: spirits as she uncorks the recipe for a delicious life. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach. You're listening to The Sipping Point, and I'm so excited... And I bet you scotch drinkers are going to be excited, too, for today's episode, because it's all about single malt scotch and an amazing distillery, Balvenie, from Scotland, which of course is the birthplace of single malt scotch. On the line to help me demystify what it means to be a single malt and taste a couple different styles and aging uh, times is Jonathan Wingo. He's coming to us from New York City. He's a brand ambassador for Balveni. although he's a Texas native, well I guess we shouldn't talk football, but we'll keep that aside, but a whiskey expert, now he's joined Balveni. he goes around the world teaching people about whiskey, and I just recently got to go to New York City, attend one of these tastings, and taste different scotches, and meet Anthony Bourdain. So I was so excited, I wanted to share all of this with you guys, and so welcome to the show Jonathan. Hi, Lori. Thanks. Well, you've had a lot of different roles in the business, but all those roles have had one thing in common, and I think they should say it's whiskey, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that is uh, probably the, the common theme. I feel very lucky to have picked that as a common theme in life. I feel like that's something that I've enjoyed and will enjoy. It's like finding, you know, a good tattoo, (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's going to stay with you. You're not going to be ashamed of later. Right. Uh, whiskey's, whiskey's great.
0: Okay. Well, I love that you're you're educating me, too. Of course, you know, I've done um, various sommelier certifications, and we do have to study and be tested on spirits, but we don't dive into the depth that you do. And so I'm excited to have you share your knowledge with me and everybody listening. So uh, let's start off just from the beginning if folks and we have some Balvenie scotches here that we're going to taste and talk about, which I'm excited. But just if somebody out there is listening and they're like, "What's the difference between a scotch and a whiskey?" Oh, what nice. would you yeah. tell them? What's the difference?
2: Um, well, there's let, let, let's rewind a little. Um, whiskey is is a is a very big category. It's kind of the umbrella category um, under which you can have several different types of whiskey. Um, so the easiest way to, to break it down is actually regionally and think of American whiskey, Canadian whiskey, Irish whiskey, Scotch whiskey, Japanese whiskey, et cetera, et cetera, um, Tasmanian whiskey, you know. Um, so once you, you break it down regionally, then you can see... Um, what it's become is usually some sort of protection, whether it be a trade protection or a legal protection. Um, and we start to, to get into different types in terms of, say, if you go to America or here in America, we, we know bourbon, we know rye. Um, but I do get people to ask, what's the difference between scotch and whiskey? Well, if you think of it as the umbrella term, um, all scotches are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are scotch. Um, so mm. if you go pop over the pond to Scotland, um, there are different types of scotches, and what I mean by types is there's different methods, there's different ways to make it, um, but I think most people are familiar with one of two categories, which is blends, or blended whiskey, uh, mm-hmm. and single malt. Um, and so single malt is a single meaning one distillery, and malt being the type of whiskey they make. Whereas a blend, uh, if single means one distillery, then blends means more than one distillery. Um, and there's also usually a conceit that in that glass, there's different types of, in the, in the bottle, there's different types of whiskey, uh, including a grain whiskey. And a grain whiskey, just not to get too nerdy too quickly, but is a different type of process than a single malt. Okay. Um, okay. So- uh, what we so at Balvenie we do a single malt, and if you can d- think of a big difference between, uh, say, bourbon and the single malt is uh, a single malt is usually a place. So Balvenie is a place; it is a distillery you can go to and put your finger on. But if I were to say something like, um, you know, Knob Creek, Basil Hayden, Baker's, Booker's, have you heard of any of those bourbons? Of course, yes. Okay, okay. So those are all under the distillery of Jim Beam. Um, and Jim Beam will bottle those based on ages or strengths, uh, different parts of the warehouse, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, those become different labels in the Jim Beam house, whereas as a single malt, um, we would have different labels, but it would all be falling under uh, the Balvenie. Uh, okay. Kind of like what you see is what you get out of that distillery.
0: And so it's a little bit more like um, estate grown is to the wine industry and single vineyard, I guess, if you will.
2: Uh, yes, it, it, except um, <laughs> as as I'm sure there's a lot of great overlaps between the wine industry. Um, you know, whiskey has not been unaffected by, say, industrial revolutions and and consolidation, et cetera, et cetera. So um, usually, to meet demands, most distilleries have shifted over the years uh, to less of of those kind of estate focused. Um, situations where you would do everything kind of on site and mm-hmm. have all of your quality control. Um, we we do get to enjoy that at Balvenie um, just because we're we're family owned and the family is very protective uh, of keeping those traditions alive um, and keeping everything under under quality control there. Um, but not not every uh, distillery that make that makes lovely lovely whiskey has that privilege um, to be able to continue to operate kind of a, as a estate. A um, Right. Does that makes sense. All self insulated,
0: you know. Right. So this is a, a what makes Balveni a premium brand, and and some others is that there is that uh, control of the of the entire process.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're proud of. Um I mean, I, I can't stress enough that it is definitely a privilege and a luxury um, in, in being able to continue to keep this going. It's incredibly, and I would argue beautifully inefficient, um, <laughs> how we can continue to make the whiskey, but it's, it's a passion of the family. And it's very, it's, it's funny to think, you know, we, we obviously work with a lot of folks in the industry, um, and we get to talk to people at, at shows and whatnot, but if you are working for a family where their main concern is to make sure that their grandkids have great whiskey and that there's integrity behind it, um, it makes all of the fun marketing stuff kind of dissolve away. Um, And it certainly makes my job easy when I get to just uh, get in front of people here in 2015 and talk about (laughs) uh, distillery processes from the late 1800s and early 1900s and, and just have folks that have been doing it for, 30 and 40 years, um, to keep some of these traditions going. Uh, So that that is a differentiation, uh, but I also think it's a privilege.
0: Absolutely. And if you want to uh, find out more about the players at the distillery and see some of what goes on in the making of these single malt scotches, you can go to YouTube and just... uh, search for uh, raw craft which is the youtube series that anthony bourdain has been doing with balveni we're going to take a quick break on the sipping point and we're going to be back with jonathan wingo and then jonathan we're going to start tasting some of this scotch <laughs> this is Lori Forster, the wine coach with the sipping point and we're back with jonathan wingo brand ambassador for balveni single malt scotch in scotland and jonathan now comes the fun part <laughs> We're going to taste. Yay. Yeah. Yay. All right, you I can have doodle. Yes, I have two glasses in front of me. And and I will say that glasses are super important in the world of wine and beer as everybody probably knows. But they're also important when you're tasting whiskey and scotch. You guys have um how would, what is the name of that special beautiful glass that you guys use?
2: Yeah, so we we like to use with something called a Glen glass um in in our tastings. Uh, and the Glen Caring glass has kind of developed out of a, a number of necessities, uh, but the biggest focus for that is um, nosing. The, the idea mm-hmm. is it's not so much a, a, a drinking glass as it is a nosing glass. So it's just kind of this uh, accentuated tulip shape. It comes to a pretty narrow point. Um, they're actually quite difficult to drink out of, and I'm, I'm always amused. You know, if you go to a high-end bar and they want to have a great curation and they want to to, to make sure you enjoy uh, your dram, then they will serve you in a Glencairn glass. But I think a lot of people go to the bars to socialize and to be out with other people right? and to see someone like with this delicate glass, like tilting it way up, kind of being antisocial in the corner. Uh, we may have missed the point on all the, uh, the, uh. the, the bar activities. <laughs> well, we I'll... love to use them in a, in a tasting though.
0: Yeah. I'll post a picture because I took a picture Monday when I was doing um, some tasting. So, okay. So 14 and 17 year old here uh, next to each other. Tell me about each of these. Uh, these are a Caribbean cask. Uh, the one on the fourteen, and the other one is called your double wood, seventeen year old. So, let's start, I guess, with the four, the youngest. That would be right. Uh, uh,
2: sure, that is that is the just a couple of things. There is that approach in a tasting. Um, I think a lot of people want to work up, um, from the ages, but there's other things you could consider. One could consider is, uh, ABV strength, oh. um, or what, what type of casks you're dealing with. Okay. Um, for example, you can, you can tie it over to wine or you could tie it over to beer. Um, if you were to do a beer tasting, you're probably not going to start with the triple IPA at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So there are different strategies. One is when all things are considered, you could do age. Um, in this case, um, we technically have two double woods. Okay. <laughs> and what I, what I mean by that is when we talk about aging whiskey, it's a little different than wine. Yes, there is some well, wines that are, you know, they have to at least rest or they'll age. It'll be oak or stainless. Um, and there's a year or two, new wood, old wood. There's a little bit of variation there. Uh, for single malt, it's quite protected. Uh, if it says 14 on the bottle, that is the youngest drop in that bottle. But it's been in an oak cask. Oh, Yes, so that, that's how we age. I get a lot of folks come up to me after uh, you know, a show, and they'll say, like, oh, I got this great, fantastic 12-year-old Balvenie in the 80s, and I've been waiting, hoping it's going to get real good. You know, and they've missed out on basically three decades of a delicious whiskey because it's not going to change once it's in the glass. Uh, the ABV is too high. Um, it's, it's kind of set at that point. So um, all of our aging is done um, In the in the cask. Now, in this case, when I say what I mean by two double woods, is that they're both going through a process called finishing. And our malt master David Stewart uh, came up with this concept in the 80s of taking a perfectly good um, whiskey, a perfectly done, uh, um, complete whiskey at, say, 14 years or 17 years, and uh, at the end of its life, moving it to a different type of cask uh, to see if it have a different bouquet or a different mouthfeel um, or a different flavor. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that was quite successful. So these two are going through um, a, a finishing. Um, oh. The 14-year-old so-called the Caribbean cask is named that because the last six to nine months are spent in a rum cask. Um, and there's a fun story about how that happens. But for you, what I'd like you to focus on is um, why why those casks are chosen. The 14 and the 17 represents how long they've been an ex bourbon barrel. And uh-huh. Bourbon barrels are American oak, you know, Alba, We got this all this vanillin, and, and there's there's a lot of oil. So when you are nosing this, um, I, I would imagine you would get kind of very big, overt. Uh, sweet tones,
0: yes. um,
2: a lot of vanilla. um, And I think the rum brings in a little bit of maybe some cooking spices. um, Maybe sometimes people get cinnamon or banana. um, But when you are tasting this, it it is going from American oak to a rum cask, but that rum cask is also American oak. So if you're, as a wine person, going to pay attention to where it hits you on your tongue and the tannins, Mm -hmm. you'll find that American oak is going to be kind of straight down the middle. You may get a little spice at the tip of your tongue, but then it's going to be straight down the middle. Are you tasting as we do
0: mm-hmm. this? I am. I just took a sip. Yeah.
2: And I, and I like that and direct comparison. If you were then immediately pick up the 17-year-old and start to okay. nose it. The only oh, wow. difference between these two whiskies is that other than the three years is the the six to nine or so months in the other type of cask and this double wood is uh, the twelve year old double wood is kind of how we started uh, into the, the finishing world, um, mm. so the seventeen was in celebration of david 's fiftieth uh, anniversary with the company we revisited this original finish but put it in you know older we we just let it go longer so wow. you get 5 extra years um from the original double wood in that oak but what I'd love uh, if you could just describe the differences in the bouquets between the two
0: if I don't that, get as much um of that sweetness on the 17 year old as I did on the 14 It smells really creamy, though, really uh, very elegant.
2: So uh, that that elegance, I think, is a a key for having that 17 years in the American oak. What this is being finished in is a sherry butt. And we're getting the sherry butts uh, from it's kind of an Oloroso seasoning uh, down in, in Spain. And it sits there for two years. Uh, taking out all of those more harsh notes from the the virgin cask Mm. after two years of the oloroso treatment it comes up to scotland Uh, and after we have those 17 years in the bourbon cask we will put it into the sherry butts so when you're tasting this you can start to get those um the the spanish oak tannins on the side of your tongue whereas The 14-year-old was right in the middle. Do you see how it kind of activates differently?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it makes you want to eat something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a great wine, too. Yeah. Uh, You know what? Do you have a minute? We're going to take a quick break on the sipping point and come back and just finish our conversation on the 17-year-old. Yeah, sure. All right. We'll be right back. This is Laurie Forster, the Wine Coach, and we're back on The Sipping Point. Jonathan Wingo, brand ambassador for Balvenie Scotch in Scotland. It stayed with us. Thank you so much, Jonathan. You're welcome. I'm enjoying uh, sipping on these uh, and comparing 14 to 17. Uh, <laughs> um, you have... Day. Yeah, right? Woo! It's starting to get hot in here. Uh <laughs> You have a partnership with Anthony Bourdain, of course, uh, celebrated chef, TV show host of Parts Unknown on CNN. How did this all come about?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, we uh, This is the third year we're running our rare craft collection, and each year is uh, featured a, a different curator. Um, and that's what I think most of the public sees, but in the background of this um we found about five years ago there's just a lot of american crafts folks kind of scattered throughout the country and we have this big return to uh, folks wanting to get back to their hands and, and wanting to do things what we would consider the old-fashioned way or the correct way, uh, sometimes very slow and expensive way. And we just found this, this wealth of uh, network of people. And we thought there's got to be a way to showcase them as we try to uh, showcase the folks at the distillery. Um, and we spent a lot of time in our whiskey tastings talking about how we make our whiskey. And I think most people assume that most distilleries over in Scotland are still operating in this kind of farm distillery way. So we've one to come up with a way uh, to showcase uh, the the folks that are still doing this. And, and mm-hmm. now in our third year, we've had a couple of um, previous curators that have been fantastic. And uh, I think with, uh, with Anthony, it was a, it was a natural um, merge, because I don't think either one of us are comfortable working with what we would consider an endorsement, where mm-hmm. it's just a blanket stamp. You know, but that's, not, that's not why we're getting or trying to get the word out, and that's not what he's about. So right. uh, it, was, it was a great natural partnership to pull in both directions. It's something he's very passionate about. Um, and most of these people that he selected to work with RawCraft Craft um, and with the Rare Craft Collection are folks that he knew about, and they're, they're folks that, that were in his world right. um, and, and wanted to showcase. So it was perfect for us. It's something that we had kind of already been doing, uh, and he, he wanted to be a part of it. He was interested in the project. Love um, that.
0: Yeah, and at the event that uh, I actually, the first person I stopped and saw was Sebastian Martirana. He's a stone worker here in Baltimore. Yeah, I couldn't believe political. it right away, first person. But if you want to see the web series uh, Anthony Bourdain created with Balveni, it's raw craft. Just uh, look that up on YouTube. You can go to um and all over social media. Balveni U.S. is a great way to connect. Uh, Jonathan Wingo, thank you so much for illuminating the intricacies of single malt scotch. And uh, I look forward to having you back on The Sipping Point soon. Oh, Thanks, Lori. Thank you very much. Cheers, Jonathan. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach, with The Sipping Point, and I am honored to be here with Celebrated Chef, TV show host, and author of Kitchen Confidential, uh, Anthony Bourdain. We're here for the Balvenie Rare Craft Collection exhibit. I met one of the craftspeople immediately, and they're from Baltimore, the first person I met. So this is wonderful, because we broadcast in Baltimore, D.C., and then across the country through iTunes. So, Anthony, thank you so much for uh Being on the sipping point.
1: Thanks, uh, happy to be with you.
0: (laughs) All right, so I thought we'd start with an in depth conversation about cold weather terroir wines and malolactic fermentation. No, we're not. No, that's a joke, that's a joke That's the opposite of my show I'm all about making wine, spirits, beer Fun, approachable And just from knowing your persona out there I think we'd probably fall asleep <laughs> but I thought maybe that might break the ice a little bit We have Jersey in common I understand you grew up in New Jersey uh, So tell me a little bit about What about these craftsmen And the craft of making Belveni Made you want to be a part of this movement If you want to call it that
1: well, I was given the opportunity to select um, cool people who are doing things that I think are good for the world. I mean, I I, I, I have a, a sort of an evangelical attitude about some things. I admire people who make things. Um, anybody who makes things, who's decided I want to make things. And I particularly admire people who do things the old school, slow, foolish, counterintuitive <laughs> way. Uh you know, the romantic pursuit of quality over quantity. And, and that's something that's disappearing. And uh, here I was given an opportunity uh, to work with a brand whose stuff I like, uh, whose stuff I actually drink and admire, who make things in a very ludicrously old school, obstinately old school way, and to choose artisans and craftspeople around the country whose work I either knew of already or could reach out and find and and make some beautiful films celebrating their work and acknowledging their work. So it seemed like a like a you know a good thing, you know, a, a fun and good thing to do.
0: And all the Belveni you can drink, I'm sure. <laughs> I,
1: I am drinking a ridiculous amount of very fine scotch whiskey. I mean it's it's a blessing and a curse hanging out with these people they are constantly pulling out these rare limited edition little bottles and or or big barrels of just insanely rare delicious stuff and wow <laughs>
0: And if you go to YouTube, uh, to the Balveni U.S. channel, that's where your uh, Raw Craft series, I guess it's a web TV series if you want to think of it that way. Um, I got the pleasure of watching almost all of them. And uh, my husband's a chef, Mike, Chef Michael, and the listeners know him. The Bob Kramer episode about these crazy knives he's making out of meteors. It, well, did I get that right? He,
1: he makes his own metal, first of all. So he's... He's making his own steel, and he's uh, pounding in layers of different, I don't know what you call them, alloys or metals. And he bought some Meteor and incorporating uh, this uh, Meteor into, into one particular knife.
0: Yeah. I uh, told my husband not to get too excited because I'm pretty sure I can't afford the Meteor knife.
1: Uh, he makes incredible <laughs> knives. I don't own one. Okay, because you have to get on a waiting list. I mean, he makes each one by hand. They take a long time, as you'll see in the film. Um, it could take years. They are incredibly expensive. The one that he makes in the, in the film, which um, uh, is an unusually amazing one, uh, is currently being bid on online. And the price is up at $22,000 for a knife, I, be- I believe. Wow. I want one so badly, and <laughs> I don't have one.
0: Wow.
1: Okay? And, and it is the ultimate chef's knife. You just... You, incredible craftsmanship. But this guy puts... He makes each and every one by hand. And they as you will see, they are truly incredible, uh, on a par with the great samurai swords of uh, medieval Japan.
0: Wow. And... and uh,
1: in, in, in fact, better in many ways, because he's making... He's, he's making the actual material himself. Wow.
0: So just magically appeared in front of us <laughs> some Belveni uh, scotch. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about why you love it so much.
1: Um, look, I, I'm a guy who honestly, if, uh, for instance, if I'm sitting in a, in a good restaurant and the sommelier comes over and it takes him, if he's spending more than... 45 seconds telling me about the wine I'm about to drink. My <laughs> eyes glaze over, okay? You're ruining the experience for me. Right. This is good stuff. This is a 21-year-old Portwood. Um, it's a very risky uh, project, as I understand. I mean, it's this is very old whiskeys that have been put together, which is, seems like a really bad idea. You got all of this really great old whiskey. Why would? Don't mess with it. So it was a risky sort of a thing, but... Uh, Dave Stewart, David Stewart, who um, does this stuff for Balvenie, uh believed in it and uh, got these, I guess, uh, uh, portwood uh, casks, and uh, you know it all goes in the barrel and out comes, in this case. Magic. I mean, it's pretty amazing, right?
0: It does. It smells delicious, and I know it's going to taste the same. Um, But I did put out to my listeners any questions they would want to ask you. So this speaking, this is delicious. But along the way, you host a show called Parts Unknown, and uh, you taste some really crazy stuff. So have you ever had a moment where you got actually sick or refused to taste something because you knew it would make you sick?
1: Uh, No. uh, The two times that... I've only been ill in about 15 years of making travel television and eating stuff all over the world. I've only been physically ill to the point of of missing a day's work twice in all of that time. And in both cases, I knew beforehand that nothing good was going to come of this. (laughs) This was a... Tribal situation, the whole tribe looking at me as they fed me something that was clearly unwholesome and dirty in a, in a less than hygienic situation. But sometimes, you know, to be a good guest is a very important thing on my show. I try to be a good and gracious and grateful guest for, for what people are offering me, often people with very little. In both of these cases, these were very poor people in a uh, hot climate in Africa eating food that was not good. Uh, the whole tribe's looking at me. The chief is offering it. You know, I took one for the team, and uh, it was a couple of weeks of uh, long course of antibiotics. Um, but so, I mean, the answer is, you know, no. I've never turned anything down, nice. and I think I'm doing pretty well for 15 years. You are.
0: Yeah. Well, I understand that you're trying to craft the best pancakes in the world for your daughter. That is something she enjoys as I see, as you put out there in social media, I have a 12 year old daughter and, uh, I'm just wondering, my daughter's always asking my husband about being a chef. You know, she looks up to her father and he says, absolutely not. I don't want you going anywhere near that world. Are you teaching your daughter to cook? And would you want her to go into this business? My,
1: my daughter loves cooking. She loves cooking with me. Um, obviously, that's something that I respond to very powerfully. I mean, I'm flattered that she's interested. I love spending time with her in the kitchen. She's very determined about it. She thinks just the, you know, the sun shines from Alton Brown. She's <laughs> she like super dreamy. Um, Look. Doesn't? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she loves cooking competition shows. I mean, which is a wonderful irony to the fact that you know my daughter loves you know Bobby Flay's Throwdown and uh, all these uh, you know Master Chef Junior and all of that stuff. Look, uh I joke about how I would be horrified if my daughter came to me and said, "Daddy, I want to be a chef," because she has said that. You know, Um it could be worse. She could say, "I want to marry a chef." That would be really bad news. I uh, look at. If, if when she's 18 and she's old enough to make these kinds of decisions for herself, then she comes and says to me, you know, I want to be a chef. I, I would be reason for alarm at first because it's such a difficult thing. But then, of course, I'd be proud that my daughter, knowingly, in the clear light of day, had chosen such a difficult path, mm-hmm. uh, one that's in many ways stacked against women, uh, a, a, a really tough, high-pressure, often thankless yet creative Um, job. Yeah, it would be a mix of both fear and and pride. Um, She's already been taking cooking lessons. She's a very adventurous eater. It gives her a lot of pleasure, and that's something I'm not going to uh, discourage her from. Far from it. I mean... uh, you know, I I would never seek to raise a foodie child. I think that's sort of grotesque, you know. Oh a little a little, hunt, little hunter, look, she's <laughs> eating sushi. Um you know. <laughs> um but the fact is, when my daughter, you know, at age three, picked up an oyster and slurped it down and said "good," I felt like uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. Um, and you know, speaking of doing things the hard way, or you know, a hard—all these craftspeople that you feature on the Raw Craft Collection are all definitely not taking the easy way out. I saw that when uh, Frank uh, Shaddock made yeah. you the suit that takes yeah. 65 hours to make. I think it was 65 hours to make one suit he can only make
1: so many per- maybe 12 a year Yeah, I think that. maybe would be- in yeah. a good year yep
0: that's amazing
1: and, and it's, an, I, it's an amazing ama- I mean he has an incredible reputation and uh, you could see why yep. who I mean most people would never know what he's doing the kind of stitching he's doing on the inside that, that most people use ready made uh, 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 stencils or, or uh, for uh, you know these are people who are, are obstinate about doing things as best they can possibly do. And they're constantly seeking to do them better.
0: Yeah. And I'm looking forward to meeting meeting Ian, the Cooper... Smith downstairs that makes the barrels for Balveni and also he's been doing that I don't know how many years we probably shouldn't say but he's the top of his game so I, I love what you're doing here with the rare craft and the raw craft collection and I want to thank you so much if folks want to watch uh, parts unknown and find out more about what you're doing where where can they go
1: connect with you um, CNN uh, for sure the CNN website will tell you what's coming up next week um, as far as the shows and I I think you can watch the shows now live stream, or not live stream, but you can watch them shortly after they air um, on CNN's website, and uh, keep doing what, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing for as long as I can get away with
0: it. I watched last night, and I loved watching you make Eric repair, squirm, (laughs) and blush at the same time, I think. Yeah,
1: his, his, you know, Eric's one of these guys who can do just about everything well, but he can't make pizza that well. (laughs) This pleases me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Bourdain, thank you so much for being on The Sipping Point.
1: My pleasure. Cheers.
0: This is Lori Forrester, The Wine Coach. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sipping Point and my interview with Chef Anthony Bourdain. I know it was such a treat to get to meet him and share all his great information with you. Uh, If you want to download my free App for iPhone and Android. Just go to the app store, type in the Wine Coach. You can listen to this or any other interview over again. And if it's your turn this year to plan your company's year-end party or gathering or retreat, you want to call me. I know how to use wine to connect people and just make sure everybody has a fabulous time. Thank your clients, your employees, whomever. Just go to the winecoach.com and click on speaking and let's talk. Cheers.